Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. If you are looking for vendor process training for you or your entire vendor team, head over to my site at DeborahRRichardson.com and click on the Vendor Team Training Solved button to learn more about what is included in the annual plan and also to download a training schedule. Get the training that you and your team needs to avoid payment fraud, duplicate vendors, compliance fines, and more. When you or your team communicates with vendors, does everyone know what not to say to those vendors to prevent fraud? Also, did you miss last week's 200th episode? Well, listen to the end for a special discount code so you don't feel completely left out. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 201, Critical Vendor Data the Vendor Team Should Never Reveal to Vendors. The vendor team has full access to the vendor record in the accounting system or ERP, which means they need to be trained on how to not reveal information that can be used to make a fraudulent request appear legitimate. And that includes when fraudsters try to submit a request to change remittance information, uh, or even when you're authenticating vendors, uh, you should not reveal any information that could be used to make either of those and more scenarios appear legitimate. Now, I won't get into authentication um, per se on this episode. Last week, I talked about it uh, in that 200th episode, and I linked to a vendor master file tip of the week uh, because I do have a YouTube channel. And on that channel, I have like really quick um, tips of the weeks every Tuesday. And one of them I did was authentication. And so I will link to that video again, where you can... And if you haven't seen it already, you can see what I mean by authentication uh, and verifying. That's really the process of verifying that you are communicating with your vendor or your internal team member and not a froster. But for today, we are going to talk about um, the things that you should never reveal to vendors. And these things can be on your authentication Uh, reference list. I typically add them to uh, the reference list uh, as things that cannot be revealed, but it really depends on the other pieces of data that you are using to uh, authenticate. And when I say authenticate, by the way, I mean, again, 
making sure you're talking to your actual vendor or internal employee and not a fraudster. But the process of authentication is similar uh, similar to when you contact your bank, right? And they'll ask you two to three identifying questions. And so I have a matrix uh, or recommend that you have a reference list or a, re- uh, a matrix that identifies those things that you can ask. Uh, to verify they are who they say they are, and then also things that you cannot reveal. And what I'm going over today are what I feel are things should never be revealed to vendors. So these are those pieces of data that you would include in your cannot reveal or do not reveal column of your authentication reference. And I don't know if I do, but I may have a picture of that reference list or um, matrix in that video. So check that out if you want more information on authentication. Now, when I talk about not revealing uh, that information, I mean by anyone, not just the vendor team, but also anyone else at your company that uh, a fraudster may contact or try to pretext, meaning try to get information out of another team member just because they can. So you don't want to train the vendor team and then have a a team member in another department be social engineered and be able to give up that information. And so you do want to make sure that you restrict access to the vendor master file to this data if you don't want it revealed by another team member. Now, again, this can be a little tricky um, and you'll see that when we start talking about uh, the types of data that I recommend you don't reveal. So let's go ahead and let's start. Now, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. You may have more or you may not agree with uh, what data I have or some of the data that I have in this list, but let's go ahead and get started. So the first one is the full banking of your vendor. Now, I have seen where fraud has occurred because during that confirmation call, or for any inquiry, right? You want to have the vendor confirm uh, their banking. Well, I guess, especially with that vendor confirmation call, you want to have the vendor confirm their banking, but you don't want to give it to them and have them confirm it. Because if that vendor team member has done anything that they shouldn't have, like call the phone number in the email that was used to deliver the new banking. And that does happen because sometimes you do not have that information in your accounting system or ERP for the vendor. And then sometimes the websites are not available for these team members to get this information. And so if you have that two, I guess, two strikes. One, you're using information from the email used to give you the updated information. And then two, you're giving, right, that in this case, fraudster, the banking information as the confirmation where it really should be more of an authentication. Now in episode 195, I talked about two truths that break your false sense of security with vendor confirmation phone calls and what can help. And I talk about scripts. So if you think this could be happening in your company, then go ahead and listen to that episode. So it is uh, revealing the full banking uh, during that confirmation call 
or for any inquiry, right? They call in, they email in, and they ask what their banking is. That information should never be revealed, but it should be used if you are are authenticating a vendor, if they're calling in or emailing and asking how they, uh, what needs to be done or what they need to do in order to change your banking, just ask them, uh, in addition to one other piece of data, right from your authentication reference or matrix matrix, ask them what the last four digits of the existing banking, uh, what that is. Uh, but don't, don't give that to them because if you ask them, Whatever data you're asking them to authenticate with, it should be something that you're not also then giving them. So uh, make sure that uh, that you're asking them for the last four digits of the existing banking if they are calling or emailing about how to change banking. And then also, uh, and I talk about this a lot too, when you're collecting new banking, authenticate the data, uh, require the new banking to be on the form that you collect. And I recommend you have a company brand ACH form. And I know I have a podcast on that too. I didn't get it though, because I didn't mean to get into that piece of it. I'm probably going off on a tangent, but number one is do not reveal the full banking uh, to vendors. So that's one of six Two of six is the tax ID that you have on file. Now, I know I get a lot of pushback on the tax ID, but um, not everyone's tax ID is is a public number like the EIN. So we're just talking about the IRS tax ID, right? And so the IRS tax ID is most likely either a an EIN or it is, which is an employer identification number, or it's a social security number, SSN, if you have a small business owner that could be an individual sole proprietor or a single member LLC. And so not everyone's tax ID is an EIN and not every EIN is for a public company too, by the way, could be a sole proprietor that maybe has an employee. In any event, um, lots of your accounting systems and ERPs out there only have one field for the tax ID. And since it could be a a social security number or an EI, uh, employee identification number, NEIN, SSN, or maybe even an I-10, that's when the IRS will issue a a tax ID to an individual that is foreign, that doesn't um, qualify or is not eligible to receive a SSN. In that case, right, that is also sensitive information. So the whole tax ID should be considered, no matter what type you have, as Uh, sensitive information. And so it should not be uh, revealed. Now, the next one is a no brainer, but you may not collect it. So number three of six is the birth date. Now, in some cases, the IRS requires the collection of a birth date uh, from a foreign individual that I think it's when they are claiming a tax treaty. Now, I'm not a tax professional, so make sure that you check with your tax professional to verify that you are collecting it when it is required. Uh, So that's with the IRS. But then also the birth date may be required in some countries like Italy. So you want to do your research and your homework on that. But if you are collecting the birth date for those scenarios or for any other scenario, I 
uh, did come across one client that was collecting the birth date for vendors that were in that first tax classification on the W-9. So sole proprietor, individual, um, single member LLC. Uh, I didn't recommend them doing that because it wasn't for a compliance reason and it could open them up to revealing sensitive information if there was ever a breach. Uh, but any event, birthday is considered sensitive information and should never be revealed uh, on uh, to vendors. Now, number four of six is, and you might not think of this one either, but it's the remittance address if your vendor is paid by check. Now, everybody talks about changing of bank account information and, you know, that is again, trending high and it's getting higher every year. The FBI keeps reporting on it and the average keeps rising, uh, rising and rising, right? Of the average loss for every business email compromise uh, incident that is reported. And right, that is where the fraudsters send a request to change banking, or it, it could also be for a remittance uh, address as well to divert the payments. And this, again, can also be for checks because vendors, once they get those checks, they whitewash them and they can do anything they want to with them. So check fraud is still out there. Don't sleep on that, which means if you receive a request to change uh, a remittance address for a vendor that has a payment method of check, uh, consider it or treat it just like a bank account change. I recommend for all my clients when I redo their vendor process that they do that confirmation, however they do it um, by phone, or they put additional internal controls in before the payments go out. I recommend they do it for a change in banking and a change in the remittance address if they are paid by check. As a matter of fact, I don't even call it a banking confirmation. Uh, I uh, call it a remittance confirmation or remittance change confirmation. All right. Now, number five. Now, number five, you may not have this depending on what you use for the IRS 10 match. If you use the uh platform or the site 10check.com, what you get versus using the IRS uh, 10 match, it's IRS, um, you go to e-services, right? You register, you sign in, you do your uh, 10 match um, and it'll come back and it'll show you right with the IRS on their platform what the results are. Well, on 10check.com, they actually have an API that is directly to the IRS uh, 10 match record. So it's the same records, same results. And so uh, what, but what they will give you in addition to telling you whether or not it is uh, valid, is they will give you the EIN name if you entered in an EIN. And they found that in the EIN records from the IRS, they'll give you the name that comes up from 
from that database. And so if you have a great scenario for this one is, uh, you know how you go back and forth and back and forth with the W-9s, right? Because the uh, vendor contact that you are working with to get an accurate W-9 doesn't really know what their legal name and tax ID combination is, right? They're giving you the name on the invoice, right? And they don't understand that it is a DBA and that the company actually has a different legal name. Well, that's one use case for this, because if you put in the EIN and you put in that DBA name, of course, it's going to come back and it is not going to match. But if you're using TenCheck, you'll see the actual legal name uh, that came up on the EIN uh, records in that database. And then at least you know that it's just a, you know, uh, um, a scenario where the point of contact is just not aware of the uh, legal name. You can also um, have the scenario where uh, there is a froster that's really trying to uh, that's really trying to get by, and they don't know the legal name, so they put uh, a different name. It doesn't match the DBA, and it's just a fraudulent request because they they were banking on the fact that you weren't going to do the IRS 10 match before you set that vendor up, right? And so you always need to do the 10 match before you set them up, by the way. I still come across folks that do not do that. But in any event, um, if you're using 10check.com, you can get the accurate EIN name if they did not, the vendor didn't give it to you, but you don't want to give that to them because just like I explained, it could be a froster that's trying to give you that W9, uh, W9 just to uh, satisfy your requirement with the hopes that you don't check and let that fraudulent request go through. So do not give them that EIN name. It's really just for you to determine, is this a red flag for fraud or does the point of contact just not know what the legal name is? So uh, uh, do not give up that information. But that is one key value add, I think, of using 10check versus uh, 10check.com versus IRS for um, your IRS 10 match validations. Uh, and they also have watch list validations, uh, and some other validations as well. And I do a training every, I think, fourth Thursday or fourth Wednesday of every month. I talk about 10 check and all the validations. It does cost, but I'll put a link to the uh, training in the show notes. And if you're interested in it, if you haven't used 10Check before, it's a great way to find out about it. And if you currently use 10Check, it is a great way to figure out what to do with that sea of green when all of a sudden one of the result lines is red because no one ever knows what to do with that, meaning they've had a hit on like a watch list. So I'll put a link to that training in the show notes. All right. So that was number five of six. And then the last one is kind of a cheat. So number six of six is any other piece of data that you use to authenticate vendors. Now, I talked about the authentication matrix or that reference template where you need to identify what pieces of data you're going to use to authenticate. 
that can be very subjective, right? It can, I, I have a template that is included. If you uh, download the purchase the e-guide and download it, it comes with vendor validation reference list or resource le- uh, list. And then it also comes with the authentication matrix. And if you have, uh, and that matrix or reference is a template. And the point is that you need to customize it for your company. So you can have multiple things in there. I give you some template data, but you can definitely customize it for your company. And one example is I had a client that had a vendor portal and they needed a way to authenticate those vendors that received the invitation to register in the portal, but were having issues registering in the portal. And so when that invitation was generated, uh, we added that the it would also generate a unique invitation code. And then that unique invitation code was added to the authentication matrix, which means that you cannot, or that team could not, it was added to that, um, to that column, right? It was added to the list of information that their team could not reveal because they're using it to authenticate. And so that invitation unique number was uh, now something that they could not reveal to vendors. And again, all of this is to uh, prevent fraud, either through the authentication process or just to make sure that you don't reveal information that can be used to, right, submit a fake uh, invoice or a uh, fake request to change remittance information. You don't want to give them anything that'll make it be uh, that fraudulent request appear to be legitimate. All right. So those were the six. And again, keep in mind, not only should the vendor team not reveal it, but don't have or allow full access for any other internal team member to be social engineered and have them reveal it either. Cause fraudsters are, are, they know about that. If they can't get it from the vendor team, they'll try contacting other team members and you don't want them, you know, having helpful Sally down the hall in a different department, you know, try, uh, be social engineered because she's trying to help she hasn't been trained, and now they have information that they can use to authenticate or to make a change request or an invoice appear legitimate. All right, so now we're at the time where I promise that I would give you uh, a code so that if you didn't, if you missed last week's 200 episode and you are listening to this episode, it means that the freebie that I was given away is no longer free. You missed it. This is why you need to make sure that you subscribe and you listen to episodes. I publish every Thursday. You listen to them before the next episode. But Uh, just because I don't want you to feel left out. I do have an additional code where you can't get it for free, but you can get it for half off and it's $24.99 full cost, which by the way, for some of you, if you purchased it before uh, for $24.99, then you didn't even have to uh, submit a receipt with it because it was under that 
$25 threshold, which many companies have as their you know, threshold for uh, sending a receipt or requiring a receipt with your expense report. Um, But now it's even better because it's half off. I have a discount code so you can get it for half off. So now it's only, I don't know, $12.98. That discount code is 200th, so 200th, episode 50. So 200th episode 50, and you can get that for half off. Now that is going to go through next week's podcast episode. So the episodes I load every Thursday at 6 a.m. Eastern time. So this discount code 200th episode 50 will be good through next Thursday Uh, And that is August, actually it's September 1st. So next Thursday, September 1st, 5.59 a.m. It will no longer be good, but you still have plenty of time. Hopefully you're listening to this before then to get that template at half off. And notice I haven't said what the template is. So you still have to listen to the episode, but Uh, The discount code that's on that episode won't work, but the discount code 200th episode 50 will work for half off. So thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 201st episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy. Stay happy.